Jane, I appreciate that. Good to have Modina back. Yeah. Modina told me a story. She said that she's been up since 2 o'clock. She didn't want to miss the alarm. Good to have Jim Lang back. Praying for you. Not fun being sick. During these times, though, it seems like God speaks to us in special ways. I remember one time I got a lump on my neck and then went to a doctor and he said, well, you need to have, that's a uh, enlarged, whatever it was. And he said, you need to have that out. And uh, he said, I said, what happens if I don't? He said, well, you might die. So, uh, but I remember during that time I was teaching a series in a Sunday school class uh, and as I was studying every week, God just, the word just jumped off the page at me. It was like he was speaking to me personally as I was having to deal with these issues. And it was a very precious time with the Lord. And sometimes in these situations, God's very close to us. And so, but it's not fun going through that. I just want you to know that. And I don't know if you saw, but on the bulletin board, Sandy Keaton has three or four pictures of of uh, last week with her Bible study at the apartments. It's great. She gives reports every so often about how many boxes of food and she takes to the people and how much they're appreciative. So anyway, let's, uh, let's remember to continue to support Sandy's ministry and let's pray for Sandy as well. Kids are getting saved. That's exciting. Well, we are in Matthew 17, so if you'll take your Bible, let's turn there. And the weeks are counting down toward the opening of our new building. That's sort of exciting. And then we'll have a new Sunday school schedule. We still are not sure what it'll be, but uh, we'll let you know as soon as we find out on that. Okay, so we're in Matthew 17. And we're going to pick up at verse 22. Now, we've all heard the statement that there are two certainties in life. Death and taxes. And uh, our passage today includes both of those. Death and taxes. So we're going to look at death first. And uh, look at verse 22. It says, Now while they were staying in Galilee... Now what happens is that Jesus and the apostles are now back in the territory that is under the control of Herod and Antipas. Now this is the Herod that beheaded John the Baptist. Remember when Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been beheaded, he and the disciples actually moved up north out of his territory, and now they're back in his territory, so this is very dangerous. So it's not surprising that in this environment, Jesus would speak about his death. And look what it says in verse 22. So they're back in this area, and Jesus said to them, that would be to his disciples, the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and the third day he will be raised up. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. Now, this is the second time Jesus mentions his death. In the first instance, back in chapter 16, Peter rebukes Jesus. Remember that? He says, you're not going to die. 
And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. So what we have is their resistance to the idea that Jesus is going to die in Matthew 16. But in Matthew 17, that's not the reaction. In this case, the reaction is sorrowful. Sorrow. They go into a state of despondency. Now, why are they despondent? It seems to me that Jesus says he'll die, and then on the third day, he's going to be what? Raised up. I think, well, that, that seems like it's a temporary problem. You know, He's going to be raised up. But when Matthew tells this in verses 22 and 23, you have to assume that Jesus just doesn't, out of the blue, make the statement, I'm going to die, and on the third day, I'm going to raise up. He's teaching them about his death and resurrection. The teaching could have lasted for an hour. And when they get finished hearing this, they get very despondent. And I think, well, why would they get despondent? Maybe because they realize that their plans are not going to be fulfilled. He's not going to overthrow the Roman Empire. He's not going to set up the kingdom of God like they thought. And that's pretty sad. They've spent three years with this guy thinking that's what's going to happen. Or, maybe there's a clue right there in verse 22 of why they get despondent and sorrowful. It says, the Son of Man will be, will be betrayed into the hands of men and they will kill him. Maybe they realize, maybe they get sad because they realize that one of their own are going to turn on Jesus. And Jesus is going to die as a result. Now, they don't know which one it is. But that's sort of a, you know, a sad thought that one of their own would do that. So that deals with Jesus' death. Now we come to Jesus and taxes. Now look at verse 24. When they had come to Capernaum, so now they come down into the headquarters city. This is where they uh, usually spend their time when they're in the area of Galilee. And they are in Capernaum uh, as to prepare for the uh, their move to Jerusalem. And Jesus, in a few, you know, just a week or two, they're going to be moving down toward Jerusalem, where Jesus is going to be, where he's going to die. And so they come back to this headquarters city. They meet in this house, and they are preparing. And Jesus is going to teach them a lot about what's going to happen in the future. So that's where they are. So here it says in verse 24. <coughs> When they had come to Capernaum, those who received the temple tax came to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the temple tax? Now, now we come to a translation problem in our text. I'm using a New King James Bible, and it uses the words temple tax. Does your teacher pay the temple tax? That's what my translation says. That's not in the Greek translation. In fact, in my Bible, the word temple is in italics. Anybody else have that in italics? It is not even in the text. What it reads is this way. It says, in verse 24, those who receive the two drachma tax. The two drachma tax. Whose Bible has that in there? They know most Bibles, a lot of Bibles have that in there. The drachma was coinage. And it represented two days' wages. It was equal to a half shekel. Two days' wages. 
and the Jews had to pay two days' wages in taxes. Now, why does my Bible say temple tax? Because the temple tax each year was two drachma, or half a shekel. But it wasn't the only tax where you paid that amount. There were religious taxes, like temple taxes, and there were government taxes. Okay? So they're asking Peter, does his leader pay taxes? And I think these are governmental taxes they're talking about. Look at Peter's response in verse 25. He said, yes. <clears throat> yes, he does. Now, look what happens next. Peter comes into the house, and before he can speak, Jesus pipes up and says something. Okay. Look what it says. Verse 25. He said, yes. And when he had come into the house, Jesus anticipated him. That means that Jesus anticipated what Peter was going to say. Peter was going to come and say, you're not going to believe what happened. I just met some tax collectors, people who received the taxes, and they wanted to know whether you paid the tax. The two drama. Drachma tax. Before he could open his mouth, Jesus, anticipating what he's going to say, says something instead to Peter. And he reveals the kind of taxes that this passage is talking about. Okay? Look at the nature of the taxes. Verse 25. Jesus said, What do you think, Peter? Let me ask you a question. Before Peter could even open his mouth, what do you think, Peter? From whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes? Do they take them from their sons or from strangers? Now, there are two kinds of taxes mentioned here. The first are customs, also known as duties. And that these would be local taxes, what we call indirect taxes taxes. Uh, to use the Dallas tollway, you pay a toll. That, that would be a custom. That would be a duty. That's a tax. It's an indirect tax. In other words, it doesn't go right to the governor of the state. It doesn't go into the United States Treasury. You pay it at a toll booth. That would be the custom or the duty kind of tax. Property tax would fall into that category. And sales tax. Jesus says, who does the king? We see that these are taxes that are imposed by Caesar on the people. And the tax collectors who are talking to Peter are representatives of the king who are collecting taxes. And they want to know, does Jesus pay custom taxes? Does he pay those indirect taxes? Does he try to get away without paying taxes? Okay. And then the next word in verse 25 is... From whom do the kings take customs? And my, my translation says, or taxes. Now the Greek word here is uh, kainos, from which we get our word census. The Greek word translates right over into the English. Census. This is a direct tax. Paid by people who have been conquered by Rome. Based on a census. So when Rome would come in, they'd conquer people, and guess what the first thing they did was impose a tax on them. 
on the conquered people. Remember Joseph and Mary? When they go down to Bethlehem, what are they going down there for? There's a census and they're going to be taxed. This is a direct tax that goes directly into the coffers of Caesar himself. This would be what we would call a federal tax. Do we pay federal taxes? Yes, we pay federal income taxes, don't we? So this would be a federal tax. So when Rome came in and conquered a territory, it required the defeated people to pay a tax or a tribute to Caesar as a sign of submission to Rome's authority. It meant Rome and its gods defeated you and your gods. Jupiter trumps the God of Israel. Israel falls. Rome wins. Now, who got this money? This money went directly to Caesar and the elites of the Roman government. Right into their pockets. The Roman elites, which made up you know, the top 2 or 3% of the empire, never worked a day in their life. Never worked a day in their life. They got all their money by conquering nations and taking their land. Causing people to become slaves and work for them and pay taxes that went right into their pockets. They got wealthy off the taxes of the poor people who could hardly live. It was sort of like reverse welfare. We pay taxes and then we take care of poor people. That's called welfare. In that system, they pay taxes and took care of the rich people. Sort of like a reverse welfare. So Jesus asked the question of Peter. He said, I have a question for you. What do you think, Peter? Does Caesar get his taxes from whom? In verse 25? Do, do they get it, the kings get it from their sons? Or do they get it from foreigners or strangers? Who has to pay these taxes? So look what it says in verse 26. Peter said, from what? From strangers, from foreigners. And the answer is, he wrecked. <laughs> you know? So, Caesar's kids don't pay taxes. Roman citizens don't pay taxes. If you lived in a Roman colony, like a little Rome, they had them spread out through all the empire. Philippi was one of those kind of colonies, and Thessalonica was one of those colonies. And, and uh, soldiers retired and received citizenship, and they lived in these colonies. And Roman citizens, other Roman citizens lived in these colonies, and they, they spoke Latin, and they, they followed the laws of Rome. And they were exempt. They were exempt from taxes. Now think about this. If you're a Roman citizen or you belong to the royal household, you do not pay taxes. Who pays taxes? Conquered people. The Apostle Paul was a citizen of Rome. Did he pay taxes? No, he did not pay taxes. Not Paul. Jesus was not a citizen of Rome that he had to pay taxes according to Roman law. He has to pay taxes. See now, you never thought of that, did you? 
but this is just the way the system works. Okay? So uh, in the case of Palestine, a conquered territory, Jews, God's people, pay taxes. And by paying taxes, they admit, by that act, that they are conquered people, and Rome and its gods have defeated them and their gods. Now, this galled the Jewish people. You can't imagine how much they hated paying taxes. It's not like in America. <coughs> and I'm going to say something about this in a moment. But they hated it. You know why? Because Israel was formed by God to be a free people and a free nation. They paid a tithe. But they didn't have to pay taxes. What do we think of taxes? But they were disobedient to God. And God allowed them to be conquered by one nation right after another. And every time they were conquered, guess what was imposed upon them? Taxes. Babylon. Syria. Persia. Greece. Rome. Taxes. Conquered. Their gods defeated your gods. And... The Jews hated that. They should have been free people. They were free people under God. But now, because of their disobedience, they're paying taxes. And Jesus sees himself as the Son of God. The real God. He's a free person. He shouldn't have to pay taxes. But he will pay taxes. Because he's part of a defeated and a conquered nation. So he's going to pay taxes. Does your teacher pay taxes? Peter says, yes. Who do they get taxes from? Conquered people. Jesus will pay taxes, but when he pays it, he will not pay it as a sign of submission to Rome. He will pay it for another reason altogether. And this is where things start to get interesting. Look at verse 27. Verse 27. In fact, let's look at verse 26. Peter says, from strangers, and Jesus says, that's right, then the sons are what? They're free. The sons are free. They don't have to pay tax. And Jesus sees himself as the son. The son of God, he doesn't feel that he has to pay tax or any obligation, but he will. But not as a sign of submission. So look what it says in verse 27. Nevertheless, Even though Jesus himself is the Son of God, the real God. And he knows his God hasn't really been conquered. God could have gone like this. And Rome would have been off the face of the map. God just allowed this to happen. He says, nevertheless, lest we offend. You see that? Look at the end of the verse. Give it to them for you and me. Pay the taxes for you and for me. Now, why does Jesus say, nevertheless? He's saying, well, we don't have to pay it. I don't have to pay it. I'm the son of the real God. Sons don't pay taxes. But nevertheless, I'm going to pay it. Why the nevertheless? 
See, when you read the text, you have to figure out what's going on. See? So, we read these things and we read over the text. So we need to figure out what's, what does Jesus mean when he says, nevertheless, what's he trying to indicate? Uh, I think he sees himself as the Son of God, who is the legitimate ruler of the whole world. He rules the whole world. I think he sees Rome and Caesar as usurpers. This is Satan was the usurper in the Garden of Eden, wasn't it? Adam and Eve lived under God. They should have obeyed God. And guess what they do? They obey Satan. Satan usurps the authority of God. And they come under the rule of Satan. Jesus is the real Son of God who's never disobeyed. He's not a conquered person, although his nation is. He sees God as the legitimate ruler of the world and Caesar and Rome as usurpers Jesus doesn't see himself as subject to Rome. He doesn't believe that Israel's God has been defeated by Roman's God, Rome's God, which is Jupiter. In fact, Jesus believes that Rome's days are numbered. In fact, Rome is going to put him to death. They're going to say, we're going to show you what we do with people like you. We'll show you how we can just take your life like that. We're going to exercise our power. We're going to kill you. And it's going to be that very act that brings Rome's downfall. Because what's going to happen three days later? Jesus is going to be raised from the dead. And then what can Rome do to him? Now, who's one? Jesus or Rome? Jesus is one. So Jesus does not see himself as defeated. He doesn't see Israel really as defeated, or Israel's God as defeated. Nevertheless, that's what he says there in verse 27, nevertheless, We'll pay our taxes. Why? Lest we, what? Offend. Is that what it said? Lest we offend them. And in this case, the them probably refers back to the tax collectors. Uh, that concept of offend deals with the idea of stumble. And it can relate to one or two things. First of all, society in Jesus' day was based on what was called the honor and shame principle. We're all familiar with the honor and shame principle. That was an honor and shame culture. Oriental societies today still operate on honor and shame principle. You've seen it in Japan or where a leader falls or gets into, falls into corruption or has some sort of you know, affair with some prostitute or something. And they bring shame upon themselves. And oftentimes, you know what they end up doing? Just blowing the brains out. They just rather commit suicide because they brought shame upon themselves. And Jesus does not want these people trying to collect taxes and not being able to, and in that culture, bringing shame upon themselves, losing their jobs, or even losing their life. And he also doesn't want them to stumble over the gospel. What happens if he says, I'm not going to pay taxes, and then he tries to preach the gospel to them? Will they listen? So he doesn't want them to stumble or be offended in that way. He says, so for that cause, maybe for the cause of their welfare, for the gospel's sake, he says, Peter, let's pay the taxes. 
both you and me. Okay? But he's not going to do it with his own money. He's going to get the money out of a mouth of a fish. And you see that. He said, here, go and cast in the sea, cast in the hook, take the fish that comes up first, whichever one you catch first. And when you've opened its mouth, you're going to find a piece of money. Take that and give it to them, same group, the tax collectors, for me and you. Now, when you look at Matthew's Gospel, fish play a very significant role. And they, it means, when he talks about fish, he's talking about something that, that has meaning to Peter and to his disciples. For example, if you look back at chapter 7, just go back to chapter 7, the first mention of fish in Matthew's Gospel, we'll get the meaning of fish very quickly. And look down at verse 10, Matthew 7 and verse 10. If I actually look at verse 7 first, he says, Ask and it will be given to you. He's talking about praying to God. Seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, he who knocks it will be opened. And then he makes a question. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? No one would say, Dad, I, I like a piece of bread. Well, I just take a stone. No one does that. Or if he asks for a fish, will he get a serpent? First time fish is mentioned. And there's an analogy here. Then if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much what? More will your Father, who is in heaven, give good gifts to those who ask him. So in this case, the giving of the fish speaks of parental love and provision. And God's grace and God's provision and God's love is even greater than that of a human being. He offers a better provision. So you see that right here. Now look over in Matthew 14. Another mention of fish. And look at verse 13. Matthew 14. In verse 13. Now this is Jesus feeding the 5,000, isn't it? <clears throat> and you know the story. They, he says, uh, the disciples say, well, we're going to have to send the uh, multitudes away in verse 15. That they may go to villages and buy themselves some food. But Jesus said, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said, we have only five loaves and two fish. So what happens is in the hands of Jesus, he commands the people to sit down and they start passing it out. And it multiplies so that in the end, they have 12 <coughs> baskets full. Two fish. Again, we see God's grace. We see God's sovereignty. We see God making provision for how many people? All the people. 
with fish. Second time fish is mentioned here. And then a chapter later, in 15, you have the same thing that happened. And he feeds the 4,000. And that's in 15 verses 32 through 39. And Jesus says, it's late. The people have been with me for a long time. He says, uh, what do you got? And they have to say the fish. And again, what we have is God's <coughs> providence, God's grace, God's love, God's compassion overcomes the circumstances of the hunger and again provides provisions for all. And if that were not enough, I believe it's in Matthew 12 that Jesus talks about Jonah being in the belly of a fish. And in that case, the fish is God's provision to save the life of Jonah. Because remember, the sailors threw him overboard, and he was going down and tangled in seaweed, and he was not going to make it. And then God sends a fish who swoops him up. And this fish is the means of salvation for Jonah. So the fish, in every case, in Matthew's Gospel, speaks of God's provision. Okay? God's compassion, God's love, to overcome any obstacle whatsoever. It displays that God is sovereign in all situations. So, <clears throat> who's in charge, therefore? Is Rome in charge or is God in charge of all situations? God is the master of land and sea, although Caesar claims to be the master of land and sea. And he tells Peter to go down and look into the mouth of a fish, and he will find a coin, and he will pay the taxes with that coin. So, paying taxes, therefore, for Jesus is not an act of submission. It's an act of subversion. He's going to pay it without saying, without, and it's not going to be a sign that I'm submitting to Rome. When he pays it, it's going to be a sign that God provides for me. You see the difference? Notice the difference. When he pays it, it's not going to be an act of submission to Rome. It's not going to be bowing the knee to Rome. It's going to be saying, I'm trusting in God to provide, and it's going to be an act of faith on my part for God to provide for this. So he's going to pay, in a sense, the taxes uh, in a subversive and a defiant way. He's going to pay the taxes, but not on Rome's terms. Because Rome wanted it to be your money. To show that you're submitted to Rome. God's going to provide the money, showing that he's sovereign over Rome. So, in a sense, his paying the taxes is undermining Rome's authority. It gives the empire what it wants, but not on its terms. It's on Jesus' terms. Okay? So, when Rome thinks, when Jesus pays taxes to Rome, Rome thinks Jesus is submitting to Rome as a conquered Jew. But Matthew's readers who are reading in 80 AD, they know differently. They know that Jesus sees that God is sovereign and he's trusting him. It's like, uh, like bowing down to a, a king that you really don't respect. 
But you bow down anyway. Or presidents you don't respect. And you go like this. But under your breath you say, you drunken alcoholic bum. <laughs> well, you're doing it, but guess what? And when you're doing it, they think, oh, he's bowing the knee to me. The king says that. But guess what you're really doing? It's an act of defiance. You're doing it, but not because of the way he thinks. There's a reason he thinks you're doing it. Or you say, you promised that we're going to get into a real secret here. Now you can't let anybody know about this. You promise, and you say, yes, we promise. But your fingers drop. Amen. So you need to see it that way. That's what's happening here. So uh, Jesus has faith that God will meet his needs for these taxes. He has faith that God will meet his needs in his death. Because three days later, what? God's going to raise him from the dead. In each case, it's Rome that's demanding the tax. It's Rome that's demanding the death. In each case, Jesus is trusting God in that situation. Does that make sense? Now let me say a word about taxes. Let's get it down to where the rubber meets the road. Okay? I believe that all taxes are oppressive. Every tax is oppressive. I don't believe there's any such thing as a fair tax. There's no such thing as a fair tax. The Social Security tax is not fair. I pay as a minister, self-employed minister, for tax purposes. Over 15% of my salary goes right to Social Security. It's not like my employer pays seven and a half and I pay seven and a half. Because I'm ordained, I'm responsible for the full amount. Dr. Davis knows about that. <laughs> the Obamacare Act is a tax. Supreme Court says it's a tax. It's not a fair tax. It is not fair whatsoever. Now here's why it's not fair. The ones who pass the tax for example, Congress. Do you know that Congress doesn't pay Social Security tax? They've exempted themselves from that. They have their own private retirement fund. And do you know that Congress is not under Obamacare either? They have their own medical. See, taxes aren't fair. Taxes are oppressive. So, who pays the taxes? We pay the taxes. Not the people in charge. It's always that way. Don't ask me how that happens. Even in a country like ours, which is a democracy, it happens that way. Now, there are two extremes we have to avoid. The first extreme is to fight by using violence. That's what the zealots did. Remember the zealots? You know, they'd go around and they'd have knives, and when there was a great crowd in, in, the, in the area, they would go up and they'd just shove their knife right into a Roman citizen or a Roman guard or a Roman... You know, official. They just they would fight, and that's not Jesus. Never fought back like that. That's one extreme you need to avoid, and the other extreme is fear. I better pay my taxes. Have to pay my fair share. If I don't, I'm going to be audited. <laughs> Scared of the IRS. Well, that's what they. Let me tell you, that's what they want. And the closer we get to April 15th, the more ads, and the more, the more. Uh, stories on the news you'll see of a person who was caught by the IRS and given 25 years in jail. They throw these stories out. They start releasing these news stories. 
to get you afraid, to make sure that you'll pay those taxes. We don't do it in fear, okay? So what's our response? The same response Jesus has, and that's faith. We trust God to meet our needs. He may not always put a coin in the mouth of a fish for you to pay your taxes up front. He does it in this situation. But he may not do that every time. It may be you just need to take pay your taxes just out of your income. And then trust God to multiply the rest or bring money in that you were not expecting so that you can meet your needs. But in either case, whether he gives you the money up front or he multiplies the leftovers. Whether you have scarcity at the beginning and you have leftovers at the end, well, baskets full, our response should be faith. We should say, Taxes are oppressive. Nevertheless, just like Jesus did. Nevertheless, I don't want to hurt the gospel. I don't want to hurt the testimony of Christ. So I'll pay the tax. But I'll trust. That doesn't mean I'm submitting. That doesn't mean I'm a subject. That doesn't mean I'm a... It means I'm trusting God. I realize that God is the ruler of the world. God is the one who provides. Now let me say a word about Matthew's audience somewhere around 80 AD. They're reading this thing. This is a message for them. This story is unique to Matthew. It's not in any other gospel. So it must be a reason Matthew put it in here. It must be for his audience. And for us. Matthew's audience is reading this about AD AD. And there was a temple tax, by the way. Just let me throw this out. There was a temple tax that every Jew had to pay. Half a shekel, two drachmas, they paid the temple tax every year. It maintained the temple in Jerusalem. You had to have lambs, you had to have robes, you had to have wine, you had to have bread, you had to have all kinds of things. It was very expensive to maintain that temple. There was a morning offering, an evening offering. And so, to maintain the temple, the Jews every year paid two days' salary. Half a shekel, two drops. But when Matthew writes this, that temple's been destroyed in Jerusalem. <laughs> There's no more temple tax, it's gone. Remember what happened? 66 AD, the Jews decided to fight a war with Rome. <laughs> They've had enough. It's called the Jewish Wars, and Josephus writes all about it. And this war takes place from 66 to 70, and you know how it ends with the Jews on the side of And Emperor Vespasian comes in, and he just levels the city of Jerusalem. I mean, it's burned to the ground. And he destroys the temple. And then he makes a decree. Since you were paying a temple tax, in Jerusalem, from now on, you'll continue to pay the temple tax to support the temple of Jupiter in Rome. As a sign that Jupiter defeated your God and you are a defeated person. 
And here, Matthew's audience is saying, what should we do? Should we give an offering to Rome for its temple of Jupiter? Which is the most important temple in the entire empire. And if they were reading this passage of Scripture, what would be their conclusion? What do you think? Pay it. But not as a sign that you're subject to Rome, and Rome's God is greater than the God of Israel, because we all know that God is the God of the entire universe. He has not been defeated. He's still in charge, and Rome's days are numbered. Pay it. Nevertheless, it's not an act of bowing down and worshiping Caesar when you do it. It's actually, when you're paying it, it's an act of defiance. And it's an act of subversion against that government because you know that God's in control. You can trust Him to provide that money for the taxes and actually give you more left over than you can. And so this is Jesus' teaching right here on taxes. The next section opens up with the disciples asking who's the greatest in the kingdom. I think they asked that question because you know who's been the star of chapters 16 and 17? Peter. Peter, 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 Peter. And so finally they come and say, Jesus is the greatest. <laughs> you showing favoritism to this guy? And Jesus will say, no, the greatest is the one who serves. That's what we'll pick up next week. Lord, we uh, thank you for a passage like this. It's very difficult <clears throat> to break down and explain. But it's important for us. Help us to realize, Lord, many times we do things we don't want to do. And we do them not because of the reasons that the government or anybody else thinks we do them. But in doing them, we do them unto you. Recognizing that you're the sovereign God who provides all our needs. Help us to learn this lesson and take it to heart. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.